Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given, a podcast that likes to bowl cricket's insight outside off stump, looking for the faint edge of humour. <laughs> Super I just, real. I just wrote that. I'm just wrote that. I've been sick in my mouth or what? <laughs> I'm going to start doing one of those every single week. I'm, I'm very. I wrote that 30 seconds before we went live, and I'm going to start doing those every you week. You actually wrote it. You actually wrote it. <laughs> Hello and welcome to a new episode of Zero Dark. <laughs> I am joined once again by Daniel Norcross and the one and only. Mr. Stephen Finn as well. Now, if you want to know when we're recording this, the dust has barely settled on England beating the old football rival Germany in the Euros. Wonderful, wonderful scenes at Wembley. Uh, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you were probably watching. I'm pretty sure the Venn diagram of people that like their cricket and people that were watching that game is pretty massive. Finney, where did you watch it? Where did you watch it? What were you doing? How did you find it? How are you feeling? I went to the Elgin pub in Maida Vale, as I have done for all the games so far. And yeah, it was a nice atmosphere. Watched it with a couple of the boys from Middlesex. I didn't quite manage to wear my England shirt because I've realised it's a little bit small for me now, even though it's John Stones on the back and he is an absolute baller. Um, and <laughs> yeah, good atmosphere, very happy and came home and celebrated by eating a, an entire bag of M&S giant milk buttons, which, you know, I, I can't ask for any better evening. And now I've got to talk to you two for 45 minutes. So <laughs> it's only going downhill. Any exactly. better. Yeah, I hear, I hear you, I hear you. You say your English shirt doesn't fit. Is that because you've got too stacked, too fat, too tall? Why doesn't it fit? I mean, it'd be on the stacked side, I think. No, I think fashion has changed in the two years since I, or the three years since I bought my World Cup shirt. I think it was fashionable for it to be tight then show off all your muscles rippling underneath but um but yeah i, I think i'd prefer on a little bit baggier now okay uh daniel norcross what what were you wearing when you were watching the england versus germany game did your wife pick it out uh weirdly i was wearing the same clothes i wore yesterday when i drove back from bristol after the odi because i was absolutely shagged out i let, i didn't leave the house until the Sainsbury's delivery came when I had to unbolt the door to let them in and, and my wife Catherine had arranged it 4.30 to 5.30 and it came at 10 to 5. Uh, I was in my lounging trousers and then I spent most of the game 
trying to come up with really bad World War Two puns on a WhatsApp group. Okay. Uh, I had I had lingering doubts that England could win. I thought they needed to play longer balls, longer balls. Got into you. the front two. That's you know quite I mean? good. Um, yeah, uh, I'd spent most most of the time doing that and, and expecting England to lose nil nil on penalties, uh, and then uh, having given up on everything, they won. And I didn't know what to do with euphoria. I found it a very strange experience. I haven't had euphoria in a football tournament like ever. So <laughs> it was I, I I sort of hopped up from my sofa, got very excited, shouted yes, yes, yes muttered some crap about Verdun and the third Eep and Fashiondale and then sat down again, <laughs> realising that I'd become a very hideous human being. Um, yeah. Now let's talk about yeah. England versus Sri Lanka. Oh, sorry, before, Dan, go before, before, before we do, can I, can I, can I just say that, because we won't mention this at any other point, though, but I've got to get off my chest. I did genuinely spend all, all of today wanting England to beat Germany and then when they did beat them 2-0, I've ended up being more annoyed that Surrey have lost to Glamorgan by one run. Yeah. In, the, in, in I was going to say the World T20. That's what it means to me, the Vitality Blast, the World <laughs> T20. I, honestly, it's ruined my mood. I, I, I was genuinely really up for it, thinking, my God, this is it. It's the first time it's happened in my life. You know, I mean, Catherine was three months old when England last beat Germany. <laughs> she hates me reminding her of that. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't even born, and uh, and then sodding Glamorgan go and win by one run again. Glove fucking Morgan. It's like you have no idea what it's like being a Surrey fan. Everyone thinks, oh, it's a well, so it's a walk in a bloody park. It is not. It's hell. It's hell where you lose the sodding Glamorgan every sodding year somehow in this anyway. So sod England, sod Germany, sod all of that. I'm inconsolable. Well, imagine, uh, imagine if when you got to hell, it was just losing to Glamorgan. Constantly. Oh, it will be. That is <laughs> what that's why hell will be. It'll, it'll be, be horrendous. Every single Surrey lost to Glamorgan, played on a perpetual frigging loop. <laughs> <laughs> now, Finney, I want to ask you because England played Sri Lanka in a in the first ODI and won it pretty comfortably. They nearly looked like they were making a pig's ear of it, but they won it pretty comfortably in the end. But there was a lot of jokes going around on social media that Owen Morgan had purposely bowled first under very blue skies because he wanted to get the game over quickly so they could all watch the football. Then Johnny Bairstow came racing out. I think he was 11 off the first three balls and then he ended up getting 40-odd of 20-odd. And, uh, and in the end, the England team would have been able to watch most of the game, certainly the entire second half. Genuinely, I was thinking because cricket's a summer sport and summers are when sport is at its finest. You have Wimbledon every year. You have a major tournament every two years. You must have missed some huge sporting moments stood in the middle of a cricket ground somewhere. Yes, I have. <laughs> I am. Um, well, arguably the biggest sporting moment that I've missed was the 2013 playoff final between Watford and Crystal Palace, oh. which Watford ended up losing. But that was the same year that Troy Deeney scored that amazing goal that gets played every year with that amazing bit of commentary. But yeah, I, we were fielding against New Zealand at Headingley in a test match. And yeah, afternoon session, kickoff, Watford, I think, go 1-0 down. And I had no idea what was going on whilst I was out on the pitch because obviously concentrating on bowling. 
Um, and, and some bloke from the crowd shouts to me, Finney, Finney, what for the one nil up? And I like turned around, gave it the big celebration. <laughs> and then he went, no, only joking. You're one nil down, you wanker. Brilliant. Thanks, mate. Cheers. <laughs> so not only could I not take a wicket, I, I um, found out that Watford were losing in the playoff final. Yeah. <laughs> that is absolutely heartbreaking. At least you were playing a test match for England. I thought you were going to say you were like, on an outground for Middlesex somewhere, just watching two blokes bat out for a draw. At least you were playing a, a, a test match. It could have been worse. I had, a, I had a very, very similar experience when I was playing for the Dulwich College under 11 and a half, actually, uh, during the famous 1979 FA Cup final at the time. I was a big, big fan of Manchester United. And they'd come back from 2-0 down against Arsenal to draw it, get it back to 2-all. And, uh, and I was getting all the goal information. And there was a huge cheer when... Alan Sunderland put the ball past Gary Bailey and um, I was I was running into bowl and it was very important to me in those days I was a, I was a bowler I was a hard hitting middle order batter I was 11 years old I had the world at my feet Toby and uh, and I assumed that the cheer was for Man United goal and um, it wasn't and I bowled a ball of such magnificent awfulness because I, I found out as I was running in I thought it was I went yay and then it's, you know, Arsenal, went, oh, I lost my action. Uh, ball was smashed through the covers. We lost the game. Uh, they were nine <laughs> down. It was an absolute fucking nightmare. I mean, you know, you could say it's not a test match, but it was actually way more important than that when you're yeah. 11 years old. Because I could have played, I could have played 150 test matches if I hadn't been for that moment. Yeah, well, exactly. You were on the brink, weren't you? You were just, was, a, yeah. just another one of those blokes in the pub telling <laughs> telling anyone that will listen that I could have been the greatest, the greatest cricketer of all time. Could have been a contender, Toby. Exactly. Could have been a contender <laughs> if it weren't for if it weren't for a couple of injuries and a few unlucky moments. Yeah, and Alan Sunderland and Gary Sodding Bailey and Glamorgan. I'm having a bad day, Toby. I'm having a bad. Day. I've never seen a man fresh after England beating the oldest enemy so disappointed. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, Dan Norcross, because I've played cricket now for many years but for me the highlight of my career was we won uh, the Callingham Crane Trophy when I was at school when we were 13 years old and we got bowled out for 90 and then bowled the oppo out for 68 on, a, on an absolute minefield of a pitch and to this day it's my single favourite cricketing memory was winning that trophy when we were 13 years old Finney you, when obviously you were taller than everyone and better than everyone when you were younger you must have some really fond school club cricket memories from years back that if you told you then, oh yeah, and you'll also go on to play hundreds of games for England, you never would have believed them. I wasn't that good when I was first started playing out. I was just literally a bag of sticks that was wheeled out there onto a cricket <laughs> kit that didn't fit him. So yeah, I, um, I've got some really, yeah, just funny memories of just, yeah, being no better than anyone else out there on the pitch. It's one of the things that I loved doing or the thing that I loved the most about cricket and was just playing with my mates, which was great fun. You've um, gone from not filling up your shirt to now not being able to fit into your John Stone shirt in about 20 years. It's been a hell of a journey, really. What a journey, yeah. yeah. I've got no complaints. I've lived life to the full over the last 20 years and <laughs> it's finally caught up with me, yeah. Oh, I do. You have lived life to the full if you can't fit into shirts. I genuinely, I'm not just saying this is a very bitter man who's got, you know, a hairy chest and breasts. But when you scroll through Instagram and there's some bloke there with an eight pack and looks incredible, I do always think, I bet he's not fun, though. He can't be. You can't have an eight pack and be fun. Surely the funnest people in your dressing room, Finney, are the ones that 
The big lads. Yeah, the big lads. Come on. Come Bill on. Sterling. I mean, what, your, your Tim Murters. Yeah, exactly. Well, he lives yeah. life to the full. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I and he takes, you know, took 850 or 900 first class wickets in the process. So there must be some method to it. So bring me the chocolate, bring me the sweets, <laughs> bring me got, the pints of lager. I'll be, I'll be going till I'm 40. I'll have 800 wickets by then. He's Absolutely. got the work-life balance bang on. He's, he's, he eats and drinks what he wants and then turns up every Saturday and takes five. I mean, he's absolutely killing it. Fair play to him. Uh, now, I must mention, as we talk about the Euros, because England uh, beat Germany this afternoon and nobody watched Joe Root knock off the runs against Sri Lanka because everybody was watching the football more or less. And the day before was honestly the best day of football I've ever seen where Spain won 5-3 in extra time and the Swiss knocked out the French on penalties in an unbelievably good game. And whilst that was all going on, Tom Banton scored the most unbelievable 100 in the T20 blast. And Tom Banton is, is a hell of a player but he's, to me, he's still kind of one of these sorts of social media players. He's a player who you see his shots get shared around on Twitter and retweeted and stuff. And you see the scorecard and he's he's absolutely teed off. But we haven't seen him quite do it really in an England shirt yet. He's made a few appearances and stuff. Finally, he's on Sky. He goes absolutely berserk. He scores 107 off 51. And everybody, everybody was watching the Euros. And I thought, poor bloke, poor, poor bloke. It's like, if you want to get away with a heinous crime, okay, if Dan Norcross wants to go out <laughs> on a killing spree over the next few days after losing to Glamorgan by one run, the time to do it is when, you know, a politician say, go go on this fantasy with me, say a politician has been caught kissing one of his aides or secretaries. When that's all over the front page, Dan Norcross gets bumped to page five and nobody ever talks about him ever again. Tom Banton, bless him. <laughs> got pushed way back, <laughs> way back in the sports headlines with an, with an unbelievable inning. It, so, it, was, it, was like, it was like a philosophical question, wasn't it, really? You know, if, if Banton scores 100 and there's no one there to see it, does it really happen, you know? It, <laughs> yeah. was, it, it, was, it, was, it was monstrously tragic. And football does this. It sucks all the energy out. We used to talk, I mean, this is years weird, of course, because of COVID, but we always used to talk about even-numbered years. And look, it's no great surprise that England tend to play India and Australia in odd-numbered years. That's, that's when we do it in our summers. And we tend to put the sides that we think you know won't make big headlines out in the even-numbered years. But when you work in cricket, you really do realise how it does suck the life out of the sport for about those four weeks. And you just have to ride it. And in some ways, you know, England playing against Sri Lanka right now was like a genius move by the ECB because the Sri Lankans are abysmal. I, it's, it's, I don't like to say it because I love watching Sri Lanka play cricket over the years, like some Malinga, Matthews, Murali, Jarwood, and Sankar, all that. This is not that team. But if they're going to come and fulfil these commitments to Sky and the BBC and the ECB and the broadcasting deal still happen, and it so happens that that coincides with England beating Germany. And um, is it coming home? Is it going to Rome? Is it going to Rome and then coming home? Who knows? If it does, it's probably better that we play a bunch of kind of unimportant 50 over games with two years to go to the next World Cup and uh, no I, one's noticing. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I Honestly, I was thinking that today when I saw, I was like, I reckon that they, they looked at the TV schedule 
and they put Sri Lanka on during the Euros. We've got as well, we've got a white ball series up against Pakistan. What they've done cleverly is England will play India in a test series when the Euros is over. I think they've scheduled... And not just, a, not just the Euros, it's, it's the Olympics as well. Because you have this nightmare. You've got, the, of course. you've got Wimbledon, you've got the Open, you've got the British yeah. Grand Prix. Sometimes everything all kind of like merges into one. But this yeah. year, they very cleverly made sure that the India test series happens, for the most part, just after the Olympics have stopped. I think there's one test match during the Olympics. So that's when, and the back end of the 100 and all that. So August will be cricket. But June, July will not be cricket. And as, as cricket people, we can talk about it. We can rage about it. We can discuss it. But it's a reality. So yeah. sometimes you've just got to dock your cap to the ECB. They kind of got the scheduling right this year. Yeah. And it's what we've got, to, we've got to put up with it. If they're lucky, whilst Coley's batting in that one test match that clashes with the Olympics, it will be during a really crap event, like the one where they make horses dance. Just that one. Hopefully, We nobody... normally win that one. Actually, that's, that. that's normally our best event. Yeah. We're good at making yeah. horses dance. We're not good well, at a lot else, but make a horse well, essentially, dance. Essentially, you know, you know, the theory with the Olympics is, is that what, if we're sitting down or just standing up doing nothing, so shooting, rowing, right, horse riding, yeah. absolutely brilliant. That the world can't beat us. We're right. fantastic. Canoeing, superb, well, basically sedentary sports stars. Basically, the British. All the stuff that made Britain horrible, <laughs> horrible yeah. colonizers. And going around the world pillaging all the stuff you need, horse riding, shooting, and rowing, we're very, very yeah. good at all the stuff. All the stuff that makes us hated to this day, and we're darts, still... you know, poison darts through forests, things like <laughs> yeah, that. You exactly. Know? Yeah. I don't know where snooker comes into it, but it, it's just standing I up. I bet it comes in somewhere that we don't even <laughs> want to think about. Um, now, if nobody watched Tom Banton scoring that hundred, a few people did watch Stephen Finn's caught and bold, and I should thank Emma who is a Zero Ducks given, and more importantly, Stephen Finn superfan, who filmed an unbelievable bit of footage of Stephen Finn pulling off a magnificent court and bold against Glamorgan. I have to say as well, incredible camera work finish. He's obviously held that camera and zoomed in on you before because it followed you every single inch of the way. Uh, but a wonderful piece of court and bold. You can see it on the Zero Ducks given Twitter account. Finney, talk us through it, mate. What, what was going on? You, you rolled back the years there, mate. You could still fit in your John Stone shirt if you keep fielding like that. That's it. I'm live. I have to set the example now I'm captain, though, so I can't be dropping too many chances, especially not off your own bowling as well. There's enough wallies that drop them off, off your bowling as it is, so <laughs> without um, dropping them off your own bowling as well. But it's, um, it, it's just an instinct thing, really, uh, sort of. Actually, do you know what? For a change, I will take a bit of credit for it because I'd bowled a little bit full in that over and he'd driven me a couple of times back to me. And I was like, I'm going to bowl a slower ball here and hope that he goes through the shot too early and I might get a catch or someone might get a catch. And for one of the very few times in my career, what I actually foresaw happening did happen. So, so yeah, I'll take a little bit of credit for that at 32 years old. Can I just say, quite genuinely, it was a superb piece of, Agile building. It does always help that you are falling over in your delivery stride at all times. So, you know, your moment, your natural momentum was taking you towards the ground. But it was superb that you adjusted just before collapsing onto the ground, and and, and it was it was marvelous. And actually, to Emma as well, that's it, it, Toby's absolutely right. Superb camera work, dedication to her task in recording all of everything that you do. And without her, I don't think this podcast would be the same. No, the weirdest I thing- completely, completely agree. But also, 
so I bowled three overs in that game for 20 or 21, I think. So I was going all right, going fine. Came back for the 18th over, got hit for 23. <laughs> um, yeah, it was T20 is such a strange, strange game because it can swing in a couple of balls where you feel like you're going great, everything's going fine, you're in rhythm, you're bowling what you want to, and then all of a sudden the batsman does something and it just completely throws you off and it can be so humbling sometimes um and you've just got to dust yourself down and go again so yeah it's the it's a phenomenal phenomenally humbling game t20 cricket which as a bowler you just have to accept on that subject that you know to be serious for a brief moment how do you not think about the prospect of the ball being drilled back at you 120 miles an hour because there's so many other things that you're thinking about. Colin Ingram actually did nearly get me in our in the return game at, at Sophia Gardens. He hit one straight back at me and I just got my hand there in time in front of my face. But he hit it, he hit it so hard, honestly. And you literally just get your hand there, but it's all instinct. Um, and luckily my fingers took the sting out of the ball and it sort of deflected away. But I was like, I'm a split second from having that nose disappearing up one of my nostrils um, and going up into my head, which it might do me a favour, actually. I could get this lump in my nose sorted out if I... Um... I was going to say, with your nose, Finney, it's the ball I'd worry about. Fucking hell, sorry. You've <laughs> 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 <got div> <laughs> been carved out of stone over there on Zoom, have you? Jesus Christ. <laughs> you look like you've been put through one of those Snapchat filters on my screen. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't help myself there that one teed itself up too nicely I was going to ask you genuinely because what about pre-season because when you bowl in the season you've got the sort of half net just around the batsman I don't find it too intimidating but sometimes in pre-season we used to bowl in like indoor schools where the net goes all the way back to the wall for some reason like you're trapped into some sort of insane asylum padded room and you'd run in and bowl and the batsman would just te be teeing off and it felt like you had nowhere to go. When you're bowling in these indoor nets to some of those guys, I sometimes find as I'm releasing the ball, I'm already bracing myself to try and field the ball before it comes back at me. Well, some of the grounds, so I don't actually find indoor nets too bad because they are nets all the way down. So it just, as soon as it goes into the net, it dies and sort of rolls along the floor. But when you train the grounds where they have a steel cage that's wheeled onto the wicket, which we do at our outgrounds, the way you practice is by having a steel cage. And if a batsman hits the ball into the steel or the metal that is making the cage, it just ricochets like a pinball machine off. So if you're doing T20 practice and a batsman hits the ball towards deep mid-wicket, but it comes off the metal thing and just bounces back towards you, that's almost... The most dangerous thing so yeah you bowl the ball and then you hear the chink of the um of the steel cage and then you just take cover you just dive on the floor with your hand your head in your hands yeah i don't know I, it might actually take someone to get hit like properly for for you know for something to happen but i don't know what could happen you can't bowl in a helmet that's impossible i mean it sort of disincentivizes the yorker doesn't it i mean in a way you're just kind of thinking if i bowl it short at least when it gets hit, it's going to be hit away from me for the most part. <laughs> Whereas if you pull the Yorker and you miss your length, that's coming straight back at your forehead. Yeah, big you know? strife. Yeah, there's a few times. I remember bowling to Dhoni actually as well when he'd do that helicopter shot. Mm. And you couldn't bowl anywhere near the stump. So you had to bowl wide Yorkers at him. But he would still try and hit them to long on or straight. He'd just walk across the crease and try and play the helicopter shot towards deep mid-wicket and long on. So... 
you were in the firing line of that. And I remember a couple of times, actually, once in particular at Hyderabad, and he went across and I bowled what I thought was a good Yorker. And this thing came off the bat like an absolute tracer bullet. And luckily it went past my head. But you feel the wind go past your head and you think, shit, if that's half a yard straighter, I'm in a bit of strife there. And then you've got to think about landing the next ball. So, yeah, it's it's a different proposition. But to be honest, it's not something that when you're bowling, you're thinking about. There's there's so many other things going on. It's weird, actually, that it doesn't happen more often. We saw Luke Fletcher, but that was kind of the first time we'd ever seen that. And uh, who's the umpire that has his, um, his shield? Bruce Oxenford. Bruce Oxenford, yeah. Yeah, has, has his shield, even though he's never been hit by the ball. He's just preempting that one day he thinks it, it will happen. Um, and yet, weirdly, I've, I've, you know, you never see umpires get, get hit at square leg or, or straight. It's bizarre. No, it, I mean, it feels actually, like it should happen all the time, really. And actually, if you've got Bruce Oxford as the umpire, I just think, you know, Bruce Oxford sit there going, ha ha, I've got a shield. So he's actually worked out the problem. Whereas you as a bowler now look at Oxford with his shield going, <laughs> shit. <laughs> he knows he's five metres further away from the bloody yeah. bat than I am. Yeah. <laughs> well, Finney's bowling to Dhoni and you look at Bruce Oxford, he's in, he's in just chain mail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, I'm in the firing line here, Bruce, and I, I've got a bowl at the, my follow through takes me right in front of his toes. <laughs> um, now going back to England Sri Lanka quickly which I haven't we haven't really discussed the cricket because it's been so one-sided it's been quite boring and I just want to throw one line in there that I can't believe that we rested our star players so that they could play against this mob we could have put anybody out against the Sri Lanka at the moment I'm not just being unnecessarily unkind to Sri Lanka but really we could have and I feel like Joss Butler and let's be honest Joss Butler you know he's got an injury at the moment and hopefully he's he's fit very soon he could not hit a ball now, a white ball, until the World T20. And he will still open the batting at that tournament and be one of the best batsmen in the tournament. He's, he doesn't need to miss test matches to be good at 2020 cricket. He's really, really good at it. So the cricket has been very, very one-sided. So Yeah, but, he, but, 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 but Toby, he has, he has to play it, doesn't he? I mean, you can't just... That's the thing. You can't just expect people to pick a bat a year later after not having played it. You can sort of see why they want to do this. And, and I think also, you know, the, the bubbling and the way the IPL are butted against things. You can sort of see, I, I can see the sense in the decisions that have been made. It's just that it's not, it's worked disastrously badly. The England's I've... test team has looked dreadful because it's been denuded of some of its players. Some of them by injury though, Archer and Stokes by injury. So you've got to remember that as well. Um, and yes, you might wonder, did Butler pick up an injury early because he hadn't been playing? More well, cricket. I mean, you know, what I mean by that, used to play more cricket, didn't they? They used to play more cricket, more three and four day cricket back in the day, and you didn't see these injuries happening in this way. I and mean, you know, Butler hasn't played a lot of cricket, so yeah, I, I, I get why it's frustrating, but every, all eyes are really on India, and that's not till August. I mean, so what, what I mean by that is that Butler is gonna he's gonna play the hundred. He'll play hopefully you know a few games back for his county and stuff. He's gonna face bowling between now and the World T Twenty. It seems mental to me that we rested for a Test series away at India and at home to New Zealand so that we could play these T Twenties and one day as against you know. And you mentioned earlier a really disappointing Sri Lanka team because they were so so good um, in recent memory. So, you know, I go back to even further than you mentioned, you know, Atapatu, that sort of era. Just a great team to watch. And they just, I don't know where the talent is at the moment. I'm sure it's coming through, but a really weak looking Sri Lanka team at the moment. Tell me, there's one other thing here that I, I, I think is an interesting story this week. I'd be interested in Finney's take on it is that 
you know, Sri Lanka already weren't a strong outfit and they lost three key players because they were videoed being out in Durham city centre. Now, I don't quite understand the ins and outs, but I believe that there were slightly different regulations for what they could do in one city from another city, which was dependent on COVID case rates and Durham's got a spike going on at the moment. So they're not in a bubble. It's not like it was last summer. And then they've got this weird thing happen. I mean, how confusing is it for cricketers? How confusing is it for a county cricketer who's existing in a county cricket world who then goes in, gets called up into an England setup? Because there's so many weird regulations going on at the moment. It's It must be confusing. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're tested twice a week. So I did my one today. We tested on Sundays and Tuesdays. Um, so in and around that, you know that you're safe. You fill in a symptoms app every day and take your temperature every day to keep on top of that to make sure that nothing's awry. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I think at the moment, the rules or the guidelines for county cricketers are that you just follow what the government are saying. So when you go into a place, no more of six, um, be outside as much as you possibly can, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. social distancing. We have to sanitize our hands every six overs whilst during the games and stuff. So they're trying to mitigate the risk. Um, but yeah, I don't quite understand what the bubble rules are in international cricket, but I'd imagine that there's a bit more riding on it financially than there would be in the county game, which is why they're probably trying to be a little bit more strict and tight than, than we are in the county game. We're just following government guidelines, I think. But that then creates a confusion, doesn't it, for the people who are then moving from one situation to another? Because I don't you know, think they are, though, are they? Because they're... they're um, they pick in big squads. So you've got people in that environment already. I, I don't think you'd see someone being called up from county cricket to go and play in the England team if they've not well, been in the bubble for a period of time. Well, that Dawid Milan sort of was, wasn't he? Because he was sort of called up into the... I mean, but I, he, he was, was in the bubble squad. already. Yeah, yeah, he was in that was bubble in that. already. That's, yeah. yeah. So I, I don't think you'd see... I mean, if I go and take three fivers in a row, I don't think I'll be getting the call. I mean, I probably wouldn't get the oh, call anyway, what? but... Um, <laughs> but yeah it, so it's, hang on is this what is this why Steve-O isn't going to play for England because he's not in the bubble he's already he's not in the bubble well we should he's start we should bubble. COVID test him every day just to make yeah. sure also he's in the most high risk category isn't he Steve-O so. <laughs> no he had his vaccine about eight months ago didn't he <laughs> he's still he's still reeling off his smallpox vaccine isn't he he's still buzzing about the time he survived Spanish influenza Steve-O <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, well, I mentioned it earlier, but there was a lot of talk going around about England versus Sri Lanka and whether the game was so easy that the England boys had one eye on m- making sure the game was done in time for the football. Um, and I put a tweet out on Zero Ducks Given asking people for the most village reasons that they've ever decided to bat or bowl at the toss because Owen Morgan suspiciously chose to bowl, even though it was crystal blue skies in Durham, but the only place that had crystal blue skies in the whole of the UK. Uh, Chris tweeted me, saying that my club, Woking and Horsell Cricket Club, who I've played against Woking and Horsell a few times, he says, my club, Woking and Horsell, once chose to bat against a team with only four players present to field. The first over was a maiden. Brilliant. <laughs> Must have been a hell of an over. You just need, what, a wicketkeeper and three slips and just challenge that outside edge, I guess. Unbelievable. He's got to be swinging every ball away. They've got to be unplayable deliveries, haven't they, really? I mean, yeah. I, I, I had it once. I was I was captain of my second eleven for years and years and years. And we went to Albury. Albury had a good pitch. If you won the Tottenham Surrey Championship, you always bowled. Gave you a chance to 
pick up, you know, full 13 points. And I arrived, there were five of us, so four in my car and one other person. So that meant two batters, an umpire, because we hadn't got our umpire, and two people padded up. So I won the toss, had to, had to bat, and then had to basically block for the best part of three quarters of an hour. Just get every ball, just get looking at the driveway, saying, is the car coming? Are the cars coming? No. Block, 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 block. We were something like five for none of ten overs. When I saw the first car come, got so excited, I just went for a huge wallop of the next ball, hit it straight up in the air, got caught mid-off, didn't give a damn. My team had arrived, get bloody changed, and I go and stand at square leg umpire for an hour and a fucking half. <laughs> that was my afternoon. That's what being captain of a second eleven in the Surrey Championship is. The, the, there's so much of that goes on at Village Cricket, which is beautiful, which is, you know, things like, oh, my fast bowler's not turned up. He was last spotted on the dance floor at 4am. We don't know where he is, so we're batting first. Or, you know, every now and then you get promoted up the order. I think the only time I've batted in the top six at my club is where I said to my mate things like, look, I can play on Saturday, but I've got a wedding to get to. So I've got to leave at about six o'clock. So you'd find yourself batting at like number four or something, going up the order and getting permission to have a bit of a slog. Finney, there must be moments where even at the high standard of cricket you play, it all gets incredibly village. Have you ever rocked up to a game and somebody's forgotten their spikes? You know. Well, yeah, I have. I can't remember if I've told this story on here before or not about my trip to Amsterdam, to Holland. I don't think I remember this, if you have. Already, yes, sure, yes. I'm happy about that. I thought I had done. Oh, well, well, I... um, (laughs) We had a game against Holland in Amsterdam and we were travelling the night before the game to go over there to play the next day um, in a 40-over game against the Netherlands. And I had a habit at the time of... I re-spiked my boots a lot, so I took my boots out the night before, re-spiked them in my flat, left them in my spare room, woke up the next morning, went to the airport... Then got to the airport, didn't open my cricket bag, got all the way through, stayed that night, got to the ground the next day. And I also was in the habit at the time of uh, about 30 seconds before the team time was, I would walk out onto the pitch and just join up with the huddle and be like, all right, lads, right, listen to the captain say something and then go and warm up. So I, until like five minutes before the warm up, I hadn't opened my cricket bag opened my cricket bag five minutes before the warm-up in the Netherlands and there were no boots in sight anywhere. So I'm like, you know when you shit your pants and you literally like turning your bag upside down and shaking it out to make sure that every crevice in there, that there's no cricket boots whatsoever and there weren't. And I've got abnormally large feet. So I had to go to the opposition during their warm-up and say, Lads, I don't suppose anyone's got size 12 and a half feet, have they? I've forgot my cricket boots and otherwise I'm fielding in my trainers, in my travel trainers as well. And they were like, right, the biggest pair of boots that we have in our dressing room are 11s. And I was like, right, I'll try those. Put these boots on. It was like putting your little sister's shoes on. It was <laughs> they were so fucking small and so uncomfortable. Your and little was sister like, has got size eleven feet. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's a big girl. She's down. a pretty tall girl. Yeah, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's probably unsurprising given the size of me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so yeah, so I, I've gone and I'm I'm trying to put these boots on, and I was like, I can't do this. 
So I fielded the first 16 overs of the game in these boots, didn't bowl a ball. Corey Collimore, who had the biggest feet in our team, had a size 11 and a half, I think, in the same boots that I used. They were Adidas, but like big bowling boots of some sort. Um, so he bowled eight overs straight through because in a um, 40 over game, you obviously can only bowl eight overs. He bowled an eight over spell after 7.5 overs. He gave it the, oh, my hamstring, my hamstring, my hamstring's tight, went off the field. The 12th man came on and, and fielded. He took his boots off and then the coach walked his boots around to third man for me. I changed into his boots on the field and then bowled the next over and had to bowl eight overs straight through to try and win the game. Do you know, yeah, I think you have told that story before. I have, yeah. I'm sure yeah. I have, yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. I, 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 and let's see if we can get you to do it every six months. Have you forgotten <laughs> that you've told it before? I thought I was going <laughs> fucking mad there. I was like, I'm sure I've told this. Because it's actually, for a change, it's actually a relatively good story. It's a really good story. Well, I really enjoy the story. Secondly, I still haven't heard it before. I have no memory of this story whatsoever. Maybe Sal can confirm or deny it. <laughs> yeah, well, I do wonder. Or also, before we started this podcast officially, we did a few practice runs. So now I'm wondering if it was in one of our practice runs. I've completely lost well, track. Maybe you it. did it. Maybe you did it on the on the cricket social on BBC. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember this story, but maybe maybe, maybe uh, my memory is shocking, so it's more likely me being an idiot. Let's ask Emma who filmed Philly taking that court and bowled. She'll know. She'll know the answer. Uh, what? But most important question here is how did you bowl, Philly? Really well, actually. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I'm going to get the scorecard up. Actually, <laughs> I bet you are. I bet you are. Um, now, whilst you're looking for the scorecard, Philly, I, I I need to mention because I'd like to make some excuses about my footwear as well, because a few weeks ago, you may have been listening to the podcast and I went for a net session at Lords at the indoor school and a speed gun clocked my very, very fast bowling at 72.9 miles an hour, which, you know, I maintain, I hadn't warmed up. I didn't have a full run up and I was wearing some weird trainers and I was in, you know, it, it, I, I, I didn't feel in great rhythm, you know, it was, it was only an hour, mm. you know, so I'd like mm. to get my excuses in early. However, um, I bowled 72.9 miles an hour. Adol Rashid bowled a quicker ball in the T20 the other day that was clocked at 73.2. <laughs> so I'm officially not as quick as Adol Rashid's arm ball, is, is what I discovered this week, which is very, very depressing. Uh, right, I've got the scorecard in front of me. Stephen Finn bowling in Corey Collymore's size 11 and a half. Eight overs, three for 26. Stephen Finn. Maybe Neil Dexter had to bowl the one ball that Corey didn't bowl because of his hamstring. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it went for a single. Yep. Three <laughs> <laughs> wides, though, Finney. That, you can blame them on the shoes, right? That was just while you were getting used to them. Sure. Some of the fattest blisters you've ever seen, yeah. Well, all the greatest footballers of all time apparently wear boots a size too small. So just maybe that's where you're going wrong, mate. Um, now, Apart from Glenn Hoddle. He used to wear a size too big, and Ron Greenwood didn't trust him because he used to, uh, when Glenn Hall was about to take a free kick, because his shoes were size too big, he used to push his foot into the ground and then take it. And Ron Greenwood said, I don't trust that man. And uh, <laughs> that's why he didn't play as many football matches. Or at least that is what I heard. It could be total nonsense. Well, if, uh, if Gazza had been wearing a, a shoe size bigger in 96 against Germany, when oh, he slid in at the far post, we'd have, we'd have won that game. We'd have been in the final. Uh, very quickly, a couple of things we haven't mentioned this week. Uh, the T20 
the World Cup has been moved to UNA and Oman, which isn't a massive difference, I suppose, from India, except for there's not as many grounds and pitches out there, which means even more so as the tournament goes on, spin is going to come into play because they've only got a certain amount of wickets. So Adil Rashid's rapid arm ball is, is going to be very, very important in that tournament. And we also, it feels like a lifetime ago now with the advent of uh, England, Sri Lanka and also the Euros, but New Zealand beat India in the World Test Championship final. And we haven't actually discussed that, but uh, I did put a tweet out to say, I think they are the greatest sporting nation on earth, New Zealand. Best rugby team in the world, arguably. Officially the best test cricket team in the world. And to make it worse, they are really, really nice and really, really handsome. But and what a likeable... I can't remember a more likeable cricket team genuinely in my lifetime than this New Zealand side. Finney, as a, you know, as a fellow professional... Did you chat about it in the Middlesex dressing room about these New Zealand guys? Do you know much of this current New Zealand setup? They just come across as like, if I had a daughter, I'd want her to marry all of them. They're good fellas. We've actually got Daryl Mitchell in our dressing room at the moment at Middlesex. He came out of the bubble for the Test Championship final um, to come and play for us. And he's a great bloke. Yeah, I I really get on with the Kiwis. It was almost my favourite series to play against them because... It wasn't like an Ashes series, an England-Australia series, any England-Australia series, whether it's one-dayers or um, test matches. You, you'll you play the series hard, and then after the last test match, you'll go in, into the opposition's dressing room or they'll come to your dressing room and you'll have a beer together. Um, same with the South Africans. You'll go into the South Africans' dressing room at the end of a test series and you'll do a big fines meeting, which actually, I, I'll have to tell that story another time, but... There's some funny like chants and stories from the fines meetings that you. You do told that. it three weeks ago, Finney mate. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Just, I'm losing my mind at 32 years old. <laughs> no, but genuinely, I want to hear that story. Back that for next week, producer Sal. Back will, that for next week. But yeah, the New Zealand guys. After every Test match, you'd, you'd sit around and have a beer with them, and because New Zealand is so small when you're playing there, especially. Um, you'd see them out and about in the bars and you'd just end up chatting to them. And yeah, I've got some really good friends in that dressing room just as a result of playing against them over the years and them being a pleasure to play against because you play hard and you play tough when you're on the pitch and you know you want to beat each other loads when you're on the pitch. But then as soon as you step off it, everyone's very friendly. You can chat low, you can chat about cricket, you can chat about all sorts of stuff. It's great fun to play against them. I don't doubt that they're lovely guys. I, I can see that. Uh, but to me, we've got to also have in the narrative that they're the best test match team in the world right now. They're amazing. I mean, they didn't just beat England in that two-test series. They actually thrashed them. I mean, J- Jimmy Anderson's been on commentary with the BBC doing the one-day games, been asked about it, talked about it. And, um, you know, he hasn't put it in those terms, but he's acknowledged that, that England were very much second best in that series. And it wasn't just because they were missing Butler and Stokes. It was because New Zealand are terrific. They made six changes from the first test match to the second test match. Six changes. They had light-for-light replacements in all sorts of positions. You know, Will Young came in for Kay Williamson, hit 80-odd in that second test against England. They had Mitchell for Colin de Grandon. They had Matt Henry coming in for Tim Southey. And then when they came into the final, they pushed all those changes back. They didn't go in with a spinner. They went in there with complete conviction. They had a four-man pace attack. We talk about the Great West Indies pace attacks. This is one of the most varied pace attacks Test cricket's ever seen. It's got Wagner and Bolt, both left armers. 
And it's got Saudi and Jameson, both right arms, all of, all of them completely different from each other. The questions that are asked are incredible. And then Colin de Grandom as your fifth just doesn't give away any runs. I mean, they're such a canny side and they're created in the image of, of Kane Williamson, really, who, who really has got test cricket. They beat India like completely fair and square. They ambushed them those last two days. Everyone thought that game was definitely a draw. It was not a draw. Um, New Zealand were 4.6 on the betting exchanges at the start of that fifth day. And they were the only side that could win. Is people don't realise how good a side they actually are. They are a terrific test match team. And they're going to lose some players now, probably. You know, Taylor and Watling, they're an old side. They're coming to the end of their cricketing careers, in, in, certainly international careers. But really, I mean, New Zealand, that is... That was a top, top performance against it. And they outthought them there, tactically outthought them. India went at them too hard. Uh, I don't think they really believed that New Zealand were as good as they were. And they won more than fair and square. They were brilliant. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, we whinge about England having no players in the test team with batting average over 40. But New Zealand's got a conveyor belt of batsmen. Like They just keep coming in. You keep getting a wicket and the next guy comes out and then... His stats come up when he comes in for a bat and he goes, yeah, batting average 42, 43, 44. I mean, they're an unbelievable team. And then, like you say, the key to winning a test match is taking 20 wickets and their bowling attackers. And I think New Zealand as a country, their bowling has always been their strong suit. But this is an unbelievably good bowling attack, including Carl Jameson, who I'm quietly confident is the greatest single cricketer the world has ever seen. Although wow. he did, of course, just get run out off the last ball losing to Glamorgan. But I, 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 don't yes. want to, I don't want to make any drastic uh, spur-of-the-moment shouts here. But Carl Jameson might be the single greatest cricketer the world's ever seen, I've decided, because I've decided he's, he's going to take it, carry on with this bowling average. He's going to retire the bowling average of 12. And he's also a good bat as well. And he's handsome while he does it as well. Yeah, well done, New Zealand. Um, and I'm not just trying to stick the knife into India here, I promise. Because, uh, first of all, it's over a billion listeners that, and we really can't afford to alienate any listeners at all. But um, Indian women got spanked by England in the One Day International, the first One Day International, uh, by eight wickets. Comfortable chasing the end for England. Uh, Beaumont and Nat Skiver as well, former Stoke Dabberton, my beloved cricket club legend, Nat Skiver as well. Comfortably seeing England home. Um, bit of a mismatch at the moment, England versus India, Dan. England battering them. It, well, it is a bit. I mean, it, in fairness to India, they haven't had any cricket at all. The Indian women have not been given any cricket by the BCCI. Um, suddenly, they announced this test match came from nowhere. And it came from the BCCI, in actual fact. On International Women's Day, it was all very suspicious. Uh, you can't paper over the cracks. Unfortunately, for 14 months, Indian women's cricket has gone nowhere while England, New Zealand, South Africa have all been playing matches, you know. And what we saw was just a difference in attitude. The professionalisation of women's cricket has made an enormous difference. If you'd watched, I watched a test match and then I watched uh, the One Day International in Bristol. And you see the likes of Shafali Verma from India hitting a ball with such power. She's the only one that is doing for India. The rest of them are still playing as if it's sort of 2015-16, whereas England women have really come forward. You know, they've had a lot of time to work on their skills in a way they didn't five, six, seven years ago. And you'll see the likes of Matt Sivy, you've seen Tammy Beaumont, Helen Knight, just muscling Indian spinners while India is sort of trying to set scores of 230, 240, because that's what they're used to. So 
Um, we're seeing a kind of sea change in women's cricket, and it's being led at the moment by Australia and England, with South Africa close in behind. India are going to have to catch up. And I think for everybody who's interested in women's cricket, it'll be how long will it be before there's a women's IPL? When that happens, then I think you'll see a massive, massive change in women's cricket. Yeah, and I, I think that's only a, a couple of years away. I really do. And once, let's be honest, once India decide to really throw a lot of time and effort and money at uh, women's cricket, then I think the rest of the women's cricket world is is in a bit of trouble. So let's enjoy it whilst we can. Uh, Finney, Daniel, lovely to see you. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week when, by that time, England might be in a Euros semi-final in the football. Ooh. It's Ooh. coming home. Stephen, Daniel, lovely to see you, chap. See you next week. Cheers, lads. Bye. Cheers, boys. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Progressive presents Don't Do It Yourself. Okay, read me the manual. Using a Phillips screwdriver, What was that? This sounds like another language to me. Okay, maybe we should bundle our home and auto with Progressive. We could save big, then pay someone to do it for us. Maybe. What's next? Next, Pony Ostium Pronus and Terra. Was that one Latin? Save when bundling home and auto with Progressive and use the money to, you know, not do it yourself. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third party insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Sports Social Podcast Network.